Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our kind Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for song. How it thrills our hearts to hear those wonderful gospel songs, only believe, then Jesus came. It inspires us to move on. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of this great army that's marching on to Calvary, crucifying the old man, the flesh, and being raised the new person in his being. And I pray today that you will bless this gathering together here in the arena. May the Holy Spirit have complete charge of every heart in here that could lead us, guide us, speak through us, or speak to us in any way that he desires. We commit ourselves to you, and we pray that you will use us this afternoon for the glory and the upbuilding of thy kingdom. Forgive us of our sins and trespasses, and deliver unto us today the forgiveness of sins, healing of our bodies, salvation of our souls, and at the end of this journey, we'll bow our head humbly and give these thanks and praise. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. You be seated, and the Lord bless each of you. Good evening to you this afternoon of New York and the different places where you've gathered in this little group. There's perhaps people represented here from many different places, states, cities. And it is indeed a privilege for me to have you as my audience today. Uh, the cream of the crop, I would say. And I don't say that boastfully. I don't say that to make you feel good. I say it because it comes from my heart. And I do love Christian people, my brothers and sisters. My ministry is such that I can't meet people the way that I like to. I have been called an isolationist, but I'm not. There's no one knows how I love my brothers and sisters. Yet I cannot be a servant of mankind and be a servant of God at the same time. I must keep myself away in order to be in prayer to serve mankind by God. Visions and so forth, uh, that's the reason they don't permit interviews and so forth like that. It's because the time must be spent in prayer and long. Then when it comes to the audience at night, before sometimes runs into thousands and thousands of people. And then the Satan is just at every corner, just trying to find one flaw or one slip-up. That's all he wants. And then everyone, would, not everyone, Christians wouldn't, but the unbeliever would point at that as long as you live. They keep shoving that back. The Sunday afternoon is usually given to me to speak, as I am, don't profess to be very much of a speaker because of uh, the lack of eloquence my speech is bad, and I, I'm uneducated, and I'm just a Kentucky corncracker <laughs> with my words of hit, haint, tote, fetch, carry. You just put up with it. <laughs> That's a, someone said not long ago, said, Brother Branham said, we're going to, to give to you, I was on the West Coast from a great uh, organization, said, we want to give you a, an honorary degree that you've written a couple of books, so we'll give you either a LLD or a DD. <laughs> I said, oh my, <laughs> I don't hardly know what you're talking about, brother. 
He said, well, don't you think if we would uh, uh, give to you a doctor's degree? I said, and me saying, here it is, and paint, and fetch, and carry out that people's too intelligent to know it. They know it. I'm not no doctor of divinity. I said, I'd really just be an old, sass preacher like I am, like this. This is the way the Lord wants me to stay, just this way. And then you know what I am, and I'm not putting on nothing. I'm just myself, and that's the way all of us should be, just yourself. If you've got education enough to be a, a doctor or something another like that, I admire you. But to me, I haven't got it. So there's no need to me trying to say this, that, or the other. I'm just not. So if you'd say you was, people would know better than that. And that's the real thing about divine healing. The people know whether you really mean it or not. They can tell it. And I've learned that in my walk of life to know that you cannot get by impersonating something. You've got to be just what you are. Now, I have studied that. And I, how would you like, just before I start the sermon, I haven't got my watch today, so I left it. If I would just give you a little insight of something that's a real secret just to me, and I, uh, about healing powers and so forth like that. How many full gospel people here? Let's see your hands. Full gospel people, way up with your hand. Would you like to know a little secret? If you would, raise your hands again just a minute. All right. Here it is, friends. The secret of the whole thing is divine love. That's the secret of every bit of it, is love. If you, you can't make yourself love, you've got to have love. Love is something that, it'll work on animal life, it'll work on human life, it works before God. I believe Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with tongue of men and angels, and have not love or charity, it profit me nothing. Though I have all the knowledge to understand all the mysteries of God and have not love, though he could do it, it profit me nothing. And though I have faith to move the mountains and have not love, it profit me nothing. Where there's tongues, they'll cease. Where there's prophecies, it'll vanish. And where there's, these things will all pass away. But when love has come, it endures forever. Love. I have seen it in its power. You're reading this little book, I suppose. As we got here, the brethren and sisters selling them, not today, because we respect Sunday as the resurrection, and I've never sold on Sunday. I don't believe in it. Of course, it's all right if you do. Many of the brethren sell their books right on Sunday, say it's part of the gospel. That's okay. I have nothing against it, but if I just can't do it myself. I just When I used to be a trapper, I'd go on Saturday night after midnight many times and throw traps along like that. I tuck up fishing lines on trot lines on the river and take the bait off of them, keep them fishing on Sunday. And then when I was a sinner, and after I become a Christian, I'm sure I won't stick with it now. But love. You've noticed in this book, how many's read the book? I see your hand. Did you notice when that maniac, or, I believe it, is that the book you have, Brother Woods? It's a, yeah. The, the one where the maniac up at Oregon run out on the platform to kill me that time. You remember that? Reading it in the book. You know what conquered that fellow? The love of God. I didn't despise that man. There was something happened to me there that I loved him. How about poor fellow bound down with this evil spirit? That's what makes him feel like he wants to kill me. The man wouldn't want to do it himself. He's a human. That's what it was. What would you think if... I told you of a fellow I knew that he used to be a game warden down in Indiana. And one day he was going over to make a call at a place, and usually crossing through the field, he, 
They usually carried a gun because they had to. That's just like a police on the force or something. It's a, a law, a rule. And um, this man, while crossing the field, there was a great big bull over there in that field that he didn't know was in the field. He knew this fellow had bought it, but he forgot about it. And going through the field, this big fellow raised up, and he had just killed a colored man about six months before that down at the Burke's farm. And he was up here on, on this other farm, and he had long horns. He had the ends that were cut off, but he was an awful, he was a fine species of an animal, but he was, he was a very bad killer. He'd kill this colored man, gored him to death, and they'd sold him. And while crossing the field out 200 yards from a fence or a tree or anything else, and a little bunch of cluster of bushes, this big fellow raised up and snorted and took after this minister who claimed to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And instead of being start to run or scream, he loved the animal and felt sorry because he disturbed that animal. And that fellow come right just as hard as he could come. And his head down, snorting, throwing his horns into the ground. Many of you know it was a spool around cattle. And here he come. Well, he got all perhaps within 20 yards. No need of trying to run. You couldn't run anyhow. No bush, tree to get into. He just had to stand and face it. That's all. He could outrun you. And you had two or three hundred yards to a fence. No trees at all. So here he comes. And something just happened. And instead of, of hating the bull or wanting to kill it, a perfect peace settled down. I thought I'd disturb the poor fellow. And when he got coming to me real close, I said, Now, I'm sorry I disturbed you. I am the servant of the Lord, and I charge thee in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Creator, that you go over there and lay down. And here comes the bull, coming right on. But somehow, I was a bit more afraid than I am right here before lovely Christians. He got within about ten feet of where I was standing, and I just stood there, looking at him, not more afraid than I am of uh, this meek-looking little lady sitting here looking at me. And he run right to me, and when he got right up close to me, he just stole his feet out and stopped. He looked this way, looked around so depleted, turned around, walked over, and laid down in the bush. What did it? See? The trouble of this, people are scared today. I remember here not long ago mowing my yard out front. I was mowing a little more than any of us been down my place. I got quite a front yard. And I'd put on my old, we call them overalls, I think you all up here in the north call them dungarees or something. I'd get out there and mow the yard, and I'd have these on, a carload of people drive up to be prayed for, and I'd slip around the back and go in and put on my other clothes and go and pray for the sick, come back after they'd leave and put on, maybe make about two rounds, and here come another load, and I'd run it again. And the front yard was growing up before I could get in the backyard. It's growing up ahead of me. So one day, in the backyard, I was mowing, they had a little fence run down there, put the children up a little marking box there. And a big bunch of hornets had inhabited that box. So I forgot about it, and I took off being in the backyard where no one could see me, just stripped down to my waistline here with just my overhaul. And my oh, it's awfully hot, and I was just shoveling along, mowing, you know, a little old putt, 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 and it's hitting. And I hit the fence, and before I knew it, I was covered over with hornets. You know what hornets are, those great big fellows. And they just swarmed all over me. And something happened. I thought, that's strange. 
I, now, this sounds like a kiddie story, but it isn't told for that. And Almighty God, who will judge us at the judgment, knows it. I said, little fellows, I'm sorry I disturbed you. I said, I have enough time to play with you this afternoon. So you hurry back in the name of our Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and run back in your box. I won't hit it no more. I'll get away from there. Just kept on mowing. And the God of heaven, who knows this to be the truth, them fellows circled around me and took a beeline and went right straight back in that box and settled down. That's exactly right. Now, that same thing, brother, you can't fool the animal. You know what I love. I had time this afternoon. I like to preach on nature because that was my first Bible. How did I love nature? Because God is in nature. God is in his flower. God is in his universe. God's everywhere. And just as sure as you can't fool the animal, he knows whether you're afraid of him or not. I'm sure maybe you don't get that. Look at St. Paul. When God told him he was going down to Rome, and when he was shipwrecked out there, he picked up some sticks to throw them in the fire, and a great viper bit him through the hand, which would absolutely cause his death within a couple of minutes. And Paul looked at it, not a bit more scared than nothing, walked over and shook it over the fire, acted as if no harm had ever come, went right ahead. They thought first that he was going to drop down dead, but they changed their mind then and called him a god. See, he wasn't scared. The reason it hurts you is because you get scared. Don't be scared. If you can get a perfect love of God in your heart that knows that this is the truth, and God is your Father and He's taking care of you, there is nothing can harm you. I'll give them power and they'll tread on serpents and so forth, and nothing in no wise shall harm them. So if you want to get close to God, just get close to love. Just love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Just wrap yourself in a bundle of love. Watch that man that you didn't like like you. Did you ever get around anybody that you see nice people that you couldn't hardly stand to be around them? Now, you know that's right, isn't it? And I've seen people that maybe that you just love to be in their presence. Have you seen people like that? Do you realize that you're sons of God? The atmosphere and the air that you live in, you create a situation around you that either draws or pushes away. I better leave that subject alone and read what I was going through because I'm afraid you're not, not getting that. See, that's deeper things that the church has yet got to learn. That's right, deeper things. We're talking this ritualistic and so forth, and it's set down and cut and dried for us, but... When you come into the real, and the, it's not something way off you can't understand, it's just as close as your hand is to you. You just look over the top of it, it's so simple, till you overlook it. See? That's what does it. Now, in the event of this afternoon, and someone will watch, if you will, some of them, if, and let me know when I've been in here about three quarters of an hour or something like that, because we have a, another service tonight, and we... Uh, this afternoon is always give to me so I can just relax. I can talk and uh, you're not uh, not a healing service. It's just a service where you can just talk to the people and it makes you feel relaxed. And I'm so thankful to have this opportunity. Now you and your Bibles, the good old blessed word of the Lord, let's turn to Joel for our subject. Joel, the first chapter, and begin reading with the first verse. And read a little bit of the word. And then we're going to also take a text out of the second chapter of Joel. How many loves the word of the Lord? Say amen. amen. 
That's good. I'm glad you're a lover of the Lord and the Word, because I believe the Word. And now we read from the first verse of Joel 1 this. The word of the Lord that came unto the Joel was, Hear this, ye old man, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Has this been in your days, or in even the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it. And let your children tell their children, and let their children another generation. That which the palm or worm has left, has the locust eaten. That which the locust has left, has the canker worm eaten. That which the canker worm has left, has the caterpillar eaten. Now over in the second chapter of Joel, the 25th verse, we read this. And I will restore unto you the years that the locust has eaten, and the palmer worm, and the caterpillar, uh, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty, be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Now there's no man in the world that can open this word. We might turn the pages back, but there's only one that can open it. That's the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Jesus Christ. John, when he was in the Isle of Patmos, he saw the book in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, and he wept because there was no man in heaven worthy, no man in the earth or beneath the earth was worthy to take the book or to open the book or to loose the seals. And a lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the world come and took it out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne and opened it and loosed the seals because he was worthy. And that's the lamb that can open it to us this afternoon. Is that right? If you will with me, bow your heads and let's speak to him just a moment and ask him to open this word. Kind Heavenly Father, we approach Thee in the all-sufficient name of Thy Son, the Lord Jesus, the Worthy One. And we pray today that Thy mercies may rest upon us all. And may that now He who could open the book and was worthy to take it, may He come and open the Word to us, that our understandings might be opened and enlightened for the glory of His kingdom, that we might be encouraged to live better Christian lives and to have a good courage. Comfort us this afternoon, our Holy Father, out of thy word, through the preaching. Now, circumcise the lips that speak and the ears that hear, and may every heart receive. And may the Holy Spirit take the word of God now and deliver it to every heart as we have need. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want to start, and if you'll bear with me, my boy coming ladies watch down here, so I would be sure to understand. And now, listen closely, and try to overlook my grammar, and may the Holy Spirit take it and place it in your heart. Now, this afternoon, a little subject, if I would call it a text, would be, I will restore to you, saith the Lord. Now, to, he's speaking here of a tree, and God always uh, likened his people to trees. As the life of a tree, so will my people be. And the Jews was considered the, the tame olive tree, and the Gentiles the wild olive tree. And in, I believe in Zechariah where they were 
the, the wild olive tree was drafted into the tame olive tree, and Paul spoke in Romans and so forth about this same thing, of the different olive trees and their work. Then he speaks here of an army called caterpillars and canker worms and palmer worms and locusts coming up on the earth and eating this tree down. Now, in basing this, all things that we have on earth today come from Genesis. Genesis is the beginning. The very word Genesis means the beginning, the start. And then in the book of Genesis, every cult that we have today in the world, every spirit that we have today originated in Genesis, in the beginning. Can you hear me way back there? My wife tells me it just seems like it rumbles on this. Can you hear all right way back in the back? If you can, lift your hands. Up in the balconies, can you hear all right? Thank you. Maybe if I stand back a little bit, it'd be better. Now, God started all things in Genesis. He's every cult that we have today, every religion we have today, began in Genesis. Every plant life, tree, everything that we have began in Genesis. Human life began. Animal life began. Everything began in Genesis, in the beginning. We have to take notice of these things. For instance, like Babylon. We find out that Babylon appears in the book of Genesis, in the beginning. Babylon was founded by Nimrod, a son of Ham. And at first it was called the Gates of Paradise. After it was called Confusion. Babylon appears in Genesis. Babylon appears in the middle of the Bible. And Babylon appears over in Revelations. It was the origin and the beginning of idol worship. And it began back there. It's lasted and ends up in Revelations. Babylon. All these things due consideration of what they mean. Now, Jesus said that a sower went forth and sowed the seeds and how they began and sprang up and through every age. Someone asked me the other day, said, Brother Branham, do you believe that the old-fashioned Methodists and Baptists from the days gone by before this great light came onto the earth of the restoration of the gifts and so forth, do you think they'll go in the resurrection? I said, Amen. Sure they will. When the farmer planted his corn, the first two little leaves that sprung up on the corn, that farmer was just as happy with that corn as he could be. As the corn matured, other leaves spring. They become old and withered away. But in the resurrection, when the grain is taken from the corn, them leaves are reproduced. The Lutheran church is the light of the world at the time. Then come the Wesley age. Then the Pentecostal age. And if Jesus tarries, it will go on and on into other ages. But it's all made from the same life. The same Holy Spirit that was in the grain of corn that went into the ground is the same Holy Spirit today. It goes into tossel. It goes into corn. Tossels about the Pentecostal age. Poland begin to send out. Now... The fruit age is coming in. Amen. That's where 
when we organize our churches, I have nothing against organization, but to organize religion, the first organized religion ever was was the Catholic Church. Never was organized at that time. Then the Protestant Church organized themselves a group, and just each group, but out of all of those organizations, God takes the pure in heart. Amen. Now, amen means so be it. Someone said, Brother Ram, when you were preaching, I believe at Denver, said, how could you make out what you were saying? Everybody hollering amen. I said, if it wasn't, I'd be kind of worried. <laughs> amen means so be it. That's, that when someone says, oh, amen, it doesn't excite me. It encourages me to know that someone is believing what's being said. Now, as we notice in the beginning of Genesis, I want to bring a picture to you, if God willing, to, and will help us. After the first sin had been committed from Adam and Eve, we realized that the world was perfect. And then Satan got into the serpent, not a reptile, a beast, and deceived Mother Eve. That set in sin, and out of Genesis began to spread forth. Let's take at least two spirits out of Genesis and run the church down and find out where we're living today. The reason I chose this little thought this afternoon when God dealt with me yesterday about it, knowing it was to speak, was because of the, of the prestige of the full gospel churches and how easy Jesus said himself that in the last days the two spirits would be so close together it would deceive the very elect if possible. But by their fruit you shall know them. Now, after Adam and Eve, they brought forth their first son, which was Cain of the devil. The second son was Abel. You say, Brother Branham, do you mean to say that Cain was of the devil? Sure he was. Son of the devil. Notice. Say, well, he said, I've got a son from the Lord. That's true. Certainly, God's the only creator. But through the spirit that he let come upon him, you couldn't tax that evil thing of Cain upon God. Where did he get that nature he had? To be jealous. From Satan, his father. Where did he get that spirit of murder, the first murder? You couldn't say that come out of God. It had to come out of the devil. He was of the devil. And Abel was of God. Out of Adam. Notice, when both boys, after coming out of the Garden of Eden, they realized that they were mortals. And they must die because God had already pronounced death on all mortals. They must die. Oh, I hope you see this picture. And if God willing, I want to make an illustration here this afternoon. Don't know whether I can do it with that or not. I'm going to call this king and this Abel so that the children will understand. 
Cain and Abel, both boys were human beings and had spirits. Now, when both boys realized that they were getting older and they were mortal and they had to die, seeing their mother and father withering away, Cain tilled the soil, Abel was a sheep herder. Then the boy Cain with his spirit and Abel with his spirit, those two spirits has come from Genesis and in existence today. The same two spirits living right here in New York today. I'll prove it by God's Word. That's right. And they come up out of, and you can take any of these cults. And when I return back from overseas with God's help, and can come here for some teaching times and so forth, I can prove by God's Word that every cult that you can name, I can show you in Genesis. That's right, where it started from. There's nothing new. It's all been all the time. It's just been under different names and disguises. Like today, uh, an epileptic, they call it an epileptic. Jesus called it a devil. It's the same spirit. The boy fell in the water and frothed at the mouth and so forth. Jesus said it was a devil. A cancer in them days was called a devil. The word devil means a tormentor. And that's what it is. It's a devil. The, day that the word cancer comes from the Greek word or the Latin rather, which means uh, like a crab laid to spread forth. That's the medical name. But God calls it a devil yet, and it's still a devil. In my name they shall cast out devils. Now, with Cain and Abel, these two that we can, could stay on a week, but just for the high points, notice. This man here, Cain. Now, uh, who is this man? Cain. All of these said together. Cain. And this is Abel. Now, let's watch those spirits. Now, both of those boys, strangely thinking, they were both religious. Both of them were religious. Cain was a long ways from being a communist or an infidel. He was a believer. This may shock you, so get your best ready. All right. He was a believer not a false believer, a true believer in Jehovah God. So if God only requires a man who will make a confession and a believer, God would be unjust to save this boy and condemn that boy. Is that true? If, if faith in God is all that a man requires, that God requires... And if this boy had faith in him and this had faith in him, God would be unjust to condemn one except the other. Certainly they would. So you say, I belong to church, Brother Branham. I believe in God. That don't have one thing to do with whether you're going to home to glory or not. You say, Brother Branham, if I openly confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, am I saved? No, sir. I, if you'll listen close and don't get up and walk out now, I'll just wait to the end of it. You'll find out why that our dear brother Billy Graham and them are not getting the job done right. It's because they're not taking people far enough. They're just getting them to stand up and say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. That settles it. In a great revival here not long ago up here in one of these eastern states, they was claimed to have 30,000 converts, and six weeks later they couldn't find 30 people holding out. Why? 
It's just a cold, dry-eyed confession. God requires death and regeneration. That's what's the matter. This man was a believer. The devil walked right out and openly confessed Jesus Christ and said, We know who you are, the Son of God. They wasn't saved. They were devils. Oh, how theology has scrupled up the plan of God. It's a disgrace. We're living in the days of evil. And evil usually comes from the pulpit. If the pulpit would have stayed clean and straight, we wouldn't have had all this stuff spread over the world today. And people acting and living the way they're doing in unbelief. Some great teacher on the West Coast met me the other day. And he was going on about a certain man over there has got a big church. He said, Reverend Branham, do you think that that man is a Christian? I said, I have no other reason to believe he is a Christian. He said, all that divine healing and stuff you all are talking about, said, you know, a long time ago, he said, we, great fine church, I won't call its name because I don't believe in talking about anybody. But he said, we had the greatest churches on the West Coast. And said, along come that cult of Christian signs. And you know what? They stripped our churches. I said, if you great church would have stayed with the principles of Jesus Christ and taught divine healing like the Bible is, they would have had to have no cults to come on the coast. And these people talking about tearing up churches and things like that. Brother, hungry children eat out of a garbage can. Feed them the Word of God and they'll stay where they ought to be. That's the truth. Certainly, hungry people... Every man is trying to look behind the curtain to see where he comes from and where he's going. If you won't teach it in your church and give him the salvation that he needs to his soul, he's the son of God. In his fallen estate, yet he's the son of God. And he wants to see out yonder. He longs to see it. God help we ministers to get to the place where we can introduce to them the true and living God. And the thing that their soul hungers for after they have confessed and become Christians. Now this man came as a believer. He believed in God. He honored God. He came to worship. And he built an altar. Built an altar. Perhaps east of the garden. Because there's where the cherubim was put with a flaming sword to guard the tree of life. And perhaps they went up to the east side of the garden from which the Lord will come. The Savior. The tree of life that was in Eden. And then when they went up to this side of the tree, up to the guard, brother, Cain built an altar just the same as Abel built an altar. In other words, Cain built a church. And Abel built a church. And if belonging to church and kneeling at your altar is all God requires, God would be unjust to condemn this man and receive this man. Both of them was worshippers. Cain knelt down and worshipped God just the same as Abel did. And not only that, but they were both sacrificers. Cain made a sacrifice just the same as Abel made a sacrifice. So if being a believer of God, belonging to a church, praying at the altar, making a sacrifice, becoming religious, if that's all God required, God would be unjust to condemn that man. So you see today how theologists twisted it around? They say as long as you go to church, belong to some faith, be a member of a church, you're all right. That's wrong. 
Jesus, when he come down off the mountain, Mount Matthew 16, I believe it is, he says, who does man say I am? Some say thou art Elias. Some say you're Moses. He said, but who do you say? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, blessed art thou, Simon for Jonah, for no seminary has taught this to you. You haven't learned this from some man's theology. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. And upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The whole church of the living God is based upon spiritual revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. Oh, my. I feel like a shouting Baptist now. I feel kind of religious along about this time of day. Notice, it's enough to make it. It'll make you feel different. It cleans you inside and outside. Makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. As the Greek puts a new creation. Now, Cain thought he was right. He thought because he'd done all of his religion. He went to his church and said his prayers and paid him his tithes and a few extra dollars extra. He belonged to one of the fine church, all beautiful with flowers and everything. That's the way the devil has got the church today. Now I tell you, brother, I'm not saying this because behind this pulpit, God's going to make me answer for every word I say. For I have before me the purchase of his blood. And I've got to not know any church, any creed. I've got to preach what the Holy Spirit tells me because it's not my notes. I never had one in my life. I just have to swear I see it or reach and get it handed out. may come rough, but believe it, it'll make you fat. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, notice, Christ, the hope of glory. Now, when this man came, come up and worship the Lord, he worshiped him in beauty. If you'll notice, the very beauty began in the devil. He went to the north and set him up a kingdom to outshine Michael. The devil has always dealt in beauty. And today in some of these great big fine churches and some of these little old preachers standing down on the corner here in a little mission in the corner, they call them a bunch of nitwits and holy rollers and don't know that that's the church of the living God standing down there in those little missions of things. And we sit in great fine plush seats and pipe organs and all of our dignities that put on and not realize that the very beginning of that is the devil. That's right. That might... Make you a little bit sick, but it'll do you good. If you don't make you sick, it don't do you any good. Mama used to, we was raised on a little farm, poor. Mom put meat skins in a big old thing and put it back in the oven and boil it out or render it out to make the grease to go in the corn pone of the morning. I don't guess you New York people know how to eat cornbread and things like that. But every Saturday night, it was a bath in a big old cedar tub, pour the hot water in there. Well, everyone the same water, every one of us kiddies. And then a big dose of cast oil. I took so much of stuff that I can't even smell it today. I used to come to Mama and I'd say, Oh, Mama, it just gags me to smell it. She said, If it don't make you sick, it don't do you any good. So that's what it is, the preaching of the gospel. If it don't stir up your religious gastronomic, it don't hurt you, it don't help you very much. Let it squeeze you down a little bit and pitch this corner and that corner. Amen. All right, I'm not amening myself, but I, I, I believe in myself anyhow. Right. Look, them both religious boys. But the power of God is known by a spiritual revelation. 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, not for some words, some other thing, or something other. It's God Himself revealing to you His person, Christ Jesus, in your heart. That's where it's at. Now, look as they come up. There was nothing more than Judas and Jesus. Later on, as Cain killed Abel at the altar, so did Judas kill Jesus at the altar. And notice, Abel, when Cain come, he made it beautiful. Probably put the lilies, the fruits, and fixed them all up there. Oh, how beautiful. He had the real ritual. I suppose he'd have a D-D-D-L-L-D on his name if he lived in today. He knelt down and said, Jehovah, I have did all this for you because my honor and respect is to you. Receive it. And Jehovah turned his back on him. And here come Abel from the stockyard, a barnyard. I don't guess they had any hemp in that day, so they had a grapevine wrapped around this little old lamb's neck, pulled it up, and it's blatant, trying to keep away from the cross. But he sold the lamb up on the rock. He didn't have a lance, so he probably picked up a sharp rock, pulled his little head back, began to chop its neck till its blood bladed, blatant, dying. Did you ever hear a lamb dying? Why, it's the most pathetic thing you ever heard is to hear a little lamb dying. And Abel, with his head pulled back, a chopping on his little throat like that, and the blood just spurting out all the rock and over his hands, his little white wool being bathed. God looked down and he said, That's it! Hallelujah! That's it! What did he speak of? The Lamb of God being led away with a hip rope around his neck two, four thousand years later, down on the cross with mockery spit, his bloody locks dripping around his shoulders. Bleeding, bleeding, speaking in other tongues when he was dying. Other, could Abel understand his lamb's voice? No, sir. He knew his voice, but he didn't know his language. And so when he was speaking in tongues at the cross when he was dying, he was God's lamb slain from the foundation of the world for all sinners. Remember, Abel died on the same rock his lamb died on. And every man that comes to Jesus Christ, man or woman, boy or girl, has got to die on the same Calvary that Jesus died on. Self-sacrifice, laying on that rock of ages, sacrificing themselves, their own ideas, their theories, and everything, and giving fully over to the Holy Spirit. Certainly, notice, as them two spirits come up, I wish we had time to take them. Like on the ark, we can bring it through bird life. You can bring it through animal life, the grizzled bay and the red horse and so forth. Look in the ark. Here's sitting in the ark. Here's set a crow and a dove. Both of them, birds, one could fly where the other could, could do anything. But when they turned them loose, the crow was satisfied with eating the dead things. And he could digest them all right. But the dove is one bird who hasn't got a gall. He can't digest that kind of stuff. So he come back to the ark. What was he? He was a crow to begin with, and he was a dove to begin with. And every man that's born of the Spirit of God hasn't got the gall to digest the world anymore. It isn't whether we hold on from one revival to the other, and it's where Christ held on to Calvary. It ain't what I am, it's what I am in Christ Jesus as he died for me. Not my holiness, not your holiness, it's his holiness we stand in. Yes, sir. Notice, here's another beautiful picture comes to my mind now of the children of Israel when they were brought up out of Egypt and they crossed over and into the new land, over into the land that they were going on the road. Oh, come up. They never was a denomination. 
They were called the people of God. When they was called out, they were the church of God. The very word church means called out. God's getting his church together, calling out, not out of every denomination, a people for his name. Called out, come out from among them. Called out, separated, a church for his name. Listen closely. Now we're going along. And it's Israel called out a bunch of holy rollers. Exactly. What is it? Israel was this group here. What's them two trees that they come up out of Eden now? Let's see where we're living on. Here come Cain with his spirit. Here come Abel from his spirit. They're moving up. Now Israel comes out representing this over here. Now, watch him. When they come out, I said holy roller a few minutes ago. That didn't go good. They was holy rollers. When they crossed the Red Sea and got the victory over the enemy, Moses sung in the spirit and Miriam picked up a tambourine and run down the bank dancing, beating the tambourine. The daughters of Israel followed her, beating tambourines and dancing in the spirit. If that ain't a holy roller meeting, I've never seen one in my life. They were holy rollers. So holy roller religion isn't something new. You call it holy roller. I never heard of a, such a church in my life. But they branded that. That's the devil's name he puts on them. But there they was, holding this people, screaming, shouting, singing in the spirit. Did you ever see it in the meeting? How many ever seen something like that? Raise up your hand. Sure. It's just the same spirit. It begins back there in, in the Garden of Eden. It's coming on today. Now watch. Here's what will shock you. When they come on up, there was another group. And when they had to pass through to the promised land, they had to go through by the way of Moab. And as they did not Moab, they were religious people. Moab sprung out of Lot's daughter's children, from the father's daughter. And Moab was on this side. Here's Moab's spirit. Now watch, here comes Israel. And here's Moab. Israel standing and asked if he could go through. He said, no, sir. See, he's against this fellow. So then they had a prophet over there, a very religious man, and they went and got him to come down and curse this people. Now, what's the nature of that? And look today. The fundamentals, first thing, full gospel. Fundamentally, I don't mean some of the real ritualistic, I mean the fundamental church. Came as fundamental. Notice, here they come. Moab, a believer in Jehovah God. Israel, a believer in Jehovah God. Here's Israel, camps at the bottom of the mountains, wanting to pass through the land. There's his brother Moab, said, you can't do it. So they sent over, and got an old backslidden preacher, and brought him down there, and on the road down, a mule spoke in tongues to him and told him not to do it. There he are. But he went on anyhow. Is that right? And when he got down there to where the fellow was, now look, the preacher said, Build me seven altars. God's perfect number. And on there make seven sacrifices of ox, clean sacrifice. In Israel, they had seven altars, God's requirement. They had seven ox. Talk about fundamentals. Both of them were fundamental. Then he said, Put me seven rams on here. What do the rams speak of? Any religious teacher knows that the ram spoke of the coming of the Lord Jesus. So they had to sacrifice 
Seven rams here, seven rams here. Now, if I'm going to look at both spirits, if I would be God in the judgment, who is right? Now, here's a man offering seven rams, seven altars, upon seven altars, and seven clean sacrifices, seven altars, seven rams, seven bullocks, exactly both of them the same, just as fundamental both of them was as they could be. All right, Baptist, get your hat set. Don't go out. All right. If God requires fundamentalism, why didn't he accept them as same as them? If fundamentalism taught in the church is all God requires, he would be unjust to refuse their sacrifice and accept this one. He would be unjust. See the Spirit? Now, who was the beginning? Cain. What's the Spirit living up? Now, they both had seven altars. Both had seven rams. Both had seven ox. One and the other. And both of them kneeling, praying to the same God. That's right. Both of them believed in the same God. A beautiful picture today of the fundamental church and the full gospel church. Exactly. You say, what's the difference? Just a minute. Let the Holy Spirit reveal it. Here he is. They're offering your sacrifice, just as fundamental as these are over here. Now, watch. These type up here, they were organized groups. They had their own nation. Israel was a bunch of interdenominationals. They didn't belong. They didn't have any country. They were wonders, pilgrims. Hallelujah. They didn't, they wasn't organized. These people had a nation. They looked down and said, look at those scandals. What is nothing to them? They're not even a nation. They're a bunch of uh, hitchhikers. They're just passing through and getting what they can. And little did they know it, that was the church of the living God. Said, we are a great nation. And who are they? A bunch of backwash. A bunch of holy rollers. Said, we know who Jehovah is. Well, we believe in him. We've got all the parts of here. we got everything here. We offer the sacrifice. We worship God. Said, we'll go down there and curse that bunch of holy rollers. Said, look what they've done. They've lived with their own mothers. They've done all kinds of illiterate things. You know that's true. But here's what they fail to see. They fail to see the brass serpent, the smitten rock, and the pillar of fire. That's what they fail to see. So he come up there, of course, why? Just as long as they were fundamental, that's all they cared about. And that's the way it is. They don't ever jump on you Pentecostal preachers to a fundamental man. He believes in the birth, the virgin birth. He believes in the death, the resurrection, the ascension. He believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's just as fundamental as he can be. Don't try to argue with him on the scripture. He knows what he's talking about. I come out of the church, I know. Yes, sir. Just as fundamental as any full gospel could be. But he can't take the full gospel. He can't stomach it. That's right, his digesting's not right. Amen. You got a lot of grace to center all that, but you're doing it. <laughs> all right, notice. May the Holy Spirit now settle down while we drive this down to the glory of God. Here was a man worshiping. Here was people worshiping. Here was groups of the earth worshiping. Tribes of the earth worshiping here. One of them down the valley as a bunch of holy rollers. The other one on the hill is a great dignified nation. Watch what Balak done. He called out all the dignitaries. 
the man with their great long gowns on, all the princes, they stood around just exactly what God required, the altars, the sacrifices, and they lift the altars as far as the universe, all the dignitaries with their hands up saying, Great Jehovah, thou knowest us, this great nation. Thou knowest how we love you and how we worship you. And now look at this group coming through down here. We pray that you'll curse that group, just as religious. Here's his brother Israel down here, unorganized, just a bunch of tent dwellers down there, a bunch of crime among them and everything else down there worshiping God over the same sacrifice. If fundamentalism is all it requires, this man was just as just as Israel was. Do you get it? Here's what made the difference. Now, God's Balak had you done been refused. God done told him, don't you go curse that people because I blessed them. So he goes down to do it anyhow. Bullheaded. Wanting money. Wanting to have pride. Wanting a DD to his name or something. He wanted to be a big fella, a big shot. As we call it, excuse that expression because it's used on the street. But you'll understand it plainer. Notice, he goes down then and he thought he wanted to be something big. So he goes down to make him a name, a prestige. So he starts forward to be God. God met him. Now watch what they did. Balak, the king, took him back here and showed him the utmost parts of Israel. The hinder parts of Israel. Is that true, you Bible readers? The utmost parts. The worst part. He didn't want him to see this part. He showed him the utmost part. And I wonder a lot of times that people who call us fanatics and out of their head things, if they're not just trying to point to the worst parts. They say, I know a holy Roman preacher that run away with another man's wife. Yes, and I know a lot of Baptists and Presbyterians have done the same thing. But you're big enough to keep it hushed up, but God knows all about it. Right. Now, they said, just look at the utmost part. And when he went back there then, and he said, now go back, he's going back to curse them. And God said, you return and go back, and you say just exactly what I put in your mouth. Amen. I like that. Oh, my. I think of him. He went back there, and he started to put the curse on the people. Instead of that, he blessed Israel. And he said, I beheld you from the hilltops, and I don't see any iniquity in you. Hallelujah. There you are. It's the election. I've never seen you from a little place like this. God said, I've looked at him from the hilltops. I don't see any iniquity at all. Hallelujah. There you are. The true church. Yes, sir. What made the difference if they're both fundamental, both Bible churches, both teaching the same doctrine, both the same? What made the difference? God vindicated Israel by signs and wonders. And that's the same thing he's doing today between the full gospel and the fundamentals. He's vindicating his church with signs and wonders. God has always... When a church of the living God is moving, there's healing, there's powers, there's signs, there's wonders. Hallelujah! They had a... What they had before was a Christ serpent. They had a, a Christ before them. They said, we got it too. But he didn't vindicate it. He said, here it is. And today, the difference between fundamentalism and full gospelism, God is vindicating a full gospel by giving them... Signs and wonders and miracles. These tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, my. When I think of it, I 
of that tree to get out here and I've seen division. I'm glad today that I'm a holy roller. I'm glad today that I believe God at the signs and wonders and miracles and so forth. It's a vindication of the living God. Hallelujah. That was the difference. They read the same Bible as they read. They made the same sacrifice that they made. But God looking down just exactly like did on Cain and Abel, he refused them and put his signs over here. Glory. The full gospel preachers may be uneducated, they may be illiterate, but they got sense enough to know what God is when he comes in their midst. They let him have his way and signs and wonders accompany that ministry. Hallelujah. It's the truth. God always vindicates his church for signs and wonders. It's always been the sign of God, a shadow in the camp of a king. The king is in the camp. Today, as a bunch of people looking here in the church today, of a city like New York, of seven million people, and perhaps a thousand people sitting here in an afternoon meeting, that shows where the heart is. That shows where the treasures is. They might bring some fellow in here with a DDD on his name like that, set up out here, cause he comes through some great Hartford College or some Oxford out of England or something, and tens of thousands of people swarm in. Ask him, does he believe in divine healing? Well, I should say not. You believe in signs and wonders? Oh, that passed away with the ages, gone by. Jesus Christ said, a little while in the world will see me no more. Yet you will see me, for I'll be with you even in you to the end of the world. There he is over here. Hallelujah. They say they're uneducated. He said, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by seminary, not by degrees, but by my spirit will I vindicate my church. Amen. You say, Brother Branham, you wonder I don't have to look at that tribe up. They come into the Pharisees, just as religious as they could be. They had everything fundamental. Just as fundamental as Jesus Christ, you come off of this tree. But when Jesus was there, he couldn't call a crowd like them Pharisees could. They could call two million Jews at any time. Jesus' little crowd runs from a thousand up to five thousand, something like that. Poor Galileans, you heard him. But what was the difference? Both of them was reading from Isaiah. Both of them was reading from Jeremiah. But God vindicated Jesus Christ by signs and wonders. Didn't Peter tell him on the day of Pentecost, said, you men of Israel... Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God by your house, by his theology, by his great scholarship, by signs and wonders and miracles which he did among you. Amen. Oh, brother, when you stop across the sea under, into other countries, they come say, I'm a missionary. They're sick and tired of that stuff. Try it. Come over there and teach them some new theology. They know the Bible before we ever the nation. They say we don't care for missionaries and some new theology. What we want is somebody to make the Word of God alive and speak it. That's what the world needs today. is the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, the resurrected Jesus Christ, putting His being into power in the church. That's what the world wants to see. Certainly it is. No matter how fundamental and how your theology and how you've drained it through the Bible. If God doesn't vindicate it, it's wrong. And you're wrong. The letter killeth the spirit, make it alive. Amen. You won't like me after this. 
But remember, I may never see you again until I see a judgment. I've been honest with you all and I'm honest with you now. I've got to answer the judgment for these things. Look at here. Fundamental, Cain, Abel, Israel, Moab. Now look, Jesus come. Where's the tree he come off of out of the line of Abel? There was that religious cult. The very same group crucified the Lord. They said it'd even kill you thinking they're doing God's service. That's still in the future for us. That's right. There's that group just as religious, just as fundamental, teaches the Bible. Where did it begin? Remember, God takes his man, but never his spirit. The devil takes his man, but never his spirit. The same spirit is up on Elijah, come up on Elijah. Come out on John the Baptist hundreds of years later and prophesied to come again in the last day. See how fundamental? How is that? But God vindicates with signs and wonders. Look at the great St. Paul. Hurry up with it. The great St. Paul before dying wrote to Timothy. He said, in the last days, this, this day. You believe this is the last days? Fearless times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Now let me tell you something. I've got a degree. Lovers, I belong to the biggest church we belong Lovers of their own self, proud, boasters, blasphemers, heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Truth-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, and despisers of those that are good. Or you say, Brother Brown, that's sure common. It's no, it ain't. That's fundamentals. Oh, what? Them people? Well, they'd be devils. They'd be, no, no, they're religious. The Bible says they would have a form of godliness, but would deny the power thereof. Is that right? How many believe the Holy Ghost said that? That's exactly right. They have a form of godliness, just like Cain has with his worship, just like Moab has with his worship, just like Caiaphas has had with his worship, and just as the fundamentals has today with their worship, having a form of godliness, but would deny the power thereof, which come from Abel all the way through. Amen. Don't feel sorry for us. Just come on, get on this side. See how it is. When I was a little boy, we used to run, jump in the water. The first one in his hold up, if it's cold, he'd hold up one finger. Ooh, it's cold. He held up two fingers, the water was warm. Come on, get in. I got two fingers up to say, the water's fine. Come on, get in. See how it is. It's trouble right now. The Holy Spirit moving. Oh, my. Fundamentalism versus full gospel. There's where God's church is. There's where God lives. Where God is, signs and wonders accommodating. Where this is, it's got a form of godliness, but deny this. Now you go out to the big churches today, there's a many men in the Baptist church, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, anywhere you want to go, Catholic, whatever, that actually believes this over here. But they can't unless they leave their church. So they hold on to the church instead of receiving the Lord Jesus. In the days when Jesus was here on earth, there was a look at little old Jairus. He believed Jesus, so he couldn't come to him because his church would put him out. But he got a need one time and had to come for healing. There you are, many of them borderline preachers today, secret believers. There you are, but brother, here is the church of the living God where signs and wonders are accommodating and proving that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead by signs and wonders. That's just saith the Lord. Amen. Oh, I advise you to get off and get on, brother. There you are from Genesis. 
We're from up here in the seed now. Here not long ago, when Brother Baxter and I, it's here now with us. We was up in Canada. I was thinking of this right here. I've been out that day wandering around. I've been chasing an old bear. And the old fella, he got away from me and I left 100 miles, I guess, or I'd say at least 700 miles or more from a hard top road. Always way up British Columbia, way up in the big mountains, way back, two or three days back with pack horses. And I'd been up there, just some goats on the mountain, I'd run into an old bear and I started chasing him. I got kind of lost from the rest of the brothers. And I rode around there a little while and it kind of got towards dark. And I thought, well, which way do I come in here? There's no roads, there's no nothing. So I thought, well, I guess I'll have to build me up a fire. And I stopped and I waited a little while. I thought, no, that northern lights will probably produce enough light that it won't fall through a crevice somewhere. I'll make my way back because I can see I come from the north, coming south, I've got to go back north. So I was going along there, and I come into an old forest. Looked like it's going to rain. Great big old white clouds going over, and the moon was shining. And when I stopped there, and that was the spookiest looking place I ever seen in my life. And great big old white tall trees, just as bleak and bare as they could be. And that moon shining down on them, it looked like a graveyard. I stopped. Seemed like the Holy Ghost said, get off that horse. And I tied him up to a little limb there. I got off and I thought, Lord, what'd you stop me in this graveyard for? I looked around there, and them great big old trees standing there. There's been an old bird over years ago. Many, many years, 40, 50 years ago, the fire had swept through there for some unknown reason. And it burned all the bark off the trees. And they were standing there, great pines, maybe three foot thick at the bottom. And then I noticed the wind got to blowing. And every time the wind would blow, they go, Ooh. Oh, my. Mm. I looked, that moon was shining, big old white blister trees. I thought, what? It looks like a graveyard. This is a spooky place. And the wind blowed again and went, Ooh. I thought, what you bring me here for, Lord? What do you want to show me? Then the Holy Spirit began to reveal this to me. Do you know one time they were big trees? Why can't they move now? I thought, Lord, that's exactly what Joel said. What the palmer worm left, the caterpillar eating. What the caterpillar left, the canker worm eating. I thought, that's right, Lord. That's exactly, that's the churches of the day. They stand with great big towering spires, great big names on it, some great big church. But what the Methodist left, the Baptist eating. What the Baptist left, the Presbyterians eating. What the Presbyterians left, the Lutherans eating. And the first thing you know, they got stripped down to some of a great big old tombstone standing there. That's exactly right. And I thought, well, what's that wind going for? And I said, Lord, that's right. You send the wind from heaven, that rushing mighty wind that fell on the day of Pentecost. And when it strikes them old churches, the only thing you can go is go, ooh, the days of miracles is past. Ooh, there's no such a thing as divine healing. Ooh, stay away from them people. That's just the way it does. And I thought, sure, they were trees one time, but they're dead. When Luther had a revival, he had a revival. And when Wesley had a revival, he had a revival. And both of them had signs and wonders. But the time and the canker worms and the palmer worms and the ethics and so forth of the church has eaten out all the life-giving source out of the church. They've took away miracles. You Methodist sure don't believe in divine healing. Well, I got Wesley's textbook myself. When he was here in America, he's riding a horse to pray for a woman. And the horse fell and broke his leg. He got off and took his anointing oil and anointed the horse with oil and rode it away. Hallelujah! That's when the church...
new generation come along and said there's no such a thing as divine healing. We better stop that nonsense. All these sure things of all this shouting going on. We better culture the church. Brother, the Holy Ghost is what leads the church. Right. Take that out of it. You take the life out of it. It'll quit growing. That's right. And when God sends the Holy Ghost down like He did on the day of Pentecost, the mighty Russian wind, the only thing the church does is moan and groan and say there's no such a thing. Why can't you bend? Because you're dead. That's exactly. Why can't you got no life in it? You stand there and the wind blows out against you. You say, signs appearing in newspapers. This man coming out on the street, he wants to cripple last night. He's a walking today. Last night there's a blind woman on the platform. She's seen today. The church, when they tell us the church, oh, that's mental telepathy. The days of miracles is past. And the Holy Ghost sweeping right over. I thought, oh, God is our hope. Joel said, I will restore, saith the Lord. I thought, well, why would you ever restore? And again, the winds blew real hard. And I looked down here, and coming up from under all that big old dead trees, here comes the new undergrowth. What they call backwash. A bunch of new trees was coming up. Little bitty trees. And they were green. Oh, every time the wind hit them, they were flexible. They were full of life. They could rejoice. I said, hallelujah. There it is, Lord. An old-fashioned Holy Ghost meeting on the road. You've got some undergrowth coming up. I will restore, says the Lord. Hallelujah. I will restore, says the Lord. You wouldn't stand that wind. I thought, what's the little trees are blowing for? That's wind hit them and they just... Flew with the wind. Every way the wind twisted them backward, forward, around, upside down. They didn't care. They just frolicked with the wind. And that's the way a church is born again. When the Holy Ghost hits them, they just cut all kinds of shine. Hallelujah. Why is it? God said, I will restore, says the Lord. The days that the caterpillars left, the things that they eat down, I will restore. I said, well, they're green, O Lord. But they're green enough to know how to give in to the wind. Now, though, what does the wind blow for? It only loosens them up to make another big root so the root can grow down, loosens the ground, so the little tree can dig down deeper and get a better hole. And every time the Holy Ghost blows through, sends a great revival, signs and wonders, it only establishes the human heart in Christ Jesus. There you are, friends. There you are. I'm not condemning other churches. I'm not condemning the people of other churches. I'm condemning that cold, ritualistic, formal things that drag the souls of people to hell and they don't know it. Having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. In the Methodist church, there's people who believe in divine healing and the power of God. In the Baptist church, the same way. In the Presbyterian church and all the other churches, they believe the same thing. My brother, don't let that church take that life out of you. Here's the place you belong, over here in Jesus Christ. For you're alive, and God's working signs and wonders and miracles among you. I will restore, says the Lord. See those two trees? They come up from Eden. Here they are. They come right on up. Them two spirits come right on up. Just as fundamental. Do you see what I mean? They're fundamental. They believe God. They worship God. They go to church. They pay tithes. They sacrifice. They believe the whole Bible. But they deny the power of God. To speak with tongues, to shout, to interpretate, to have signs and wonders and healing. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The Bible said, from such turn away. Right. There's the church to be in. How do you get in, Brother Brown? Go join the Pentecostal rims? No, sir, the Pentecostal rims has more to do with it than that guy. They're just as organized and just as cold and ritual as they are. The church of the living God is made up out of every group of people that's born again of the Holy Ghost. 
that church by Holy Ghost baptism. Amen. Not their denomination tag has nothing to do with it. They are children of God by the election of God, by the power of God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even them, they believe in the supernatural no matter what the church says about it. I feel pretty religious. Amen. Oh, how I love him. How I praise him. How I love to see him. You said, Brother Bram, you've condemned other churches. No, I'm not, con- I'm not condemning those people. I'm condemning those organizations for teaching the people a form of godliness and denying the power. Well, then people believe this is the truth. God set an open door before you. You believe in God with all your heart, except the Lord Jesus. In your heart, you cannot believe when you're in a formal, it has no life to believe with. A fine church man told me not long ago, he said, Reverend Branham, I don't care what would happen. He said, I do not believe in any such. I said, certainly not. It's just for believers. It's not for unbelievers. It's for believers. He that believeth in his baptized. And these signs shall, not maybe, for certain, these signs shall follow them that believe. That's Jesus' own words. Is that right? Or he said, Brother Branham, just for the apostles, shame on you. I've got a girl at home, sitting back there in the church, seven years old, knows better than that. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature. Two-thirds of the world has never heard it yet. These signs shall follow them in all the world, I believe. In my name they'll cast out devils, speak with new tongues, and so forth. Heal the sick. Form of godliness, denying the power thereof. From such turn away. See where it started in Eden. See where it's winding up here. Fundamental. Jesus said they'd be so close they would just see the very elect if possible. To see the very elect. Now don't go condemn and say, well, I wouldn't be a Methodist. I wouldn't be a Baptist. Brother, if you're a Pentecost and having a form of godliness, of course you're a Pentecostal and you're just as dead as they are. That's right. Pentecostal churches don't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. That's right. What do you say, Brother Branham? I just can't go... The worst I ever was treated in all my life was by a Pentecostal church. The biggest denial of the faith I ever met in my life was a Pentecostal preacher. When I was in the Southland, uh, I had a great meeting, and the Lord was blessing a great arena, and he had several hundred seats, belonged to one of the biggest organizations of Pentecost. And I went over, my manager did, and asked him if they could rent them seats at 50 cents a piece a day. He said, I wouldn't let a man sit in my seats that believed in divine healing. Pentecostal. So don't get your head stuck up because you're Pentecostal. You've got to be a Christ or you're lost. That's right. David in the old scripture, he said it tastes like hunting the rock. Taste and see the Lord is good. David was a shepherd. On his side he carried a little script bag. When his sheep got sick, he took honey out of this script bag and put it on the rock. And all the sick sheep went to licking on it. And when they went to licking on this rock, they licking the honey, tasting the honey. They got some of the limestone. And the limestone healed the sick sheep. Now, brother, I got a whole script bag full of it here this afternoon. And I'm going to put it on Christ Jesus. Not on Pentecostal church, no other church. And you sick sheep go to licking. I'll tell you, if you go to licking on the honey, you're sure to get some of the limestone and get healed. That's right. Just lick as long as you can lick. And it'll be on Christ Jesus. Not on the Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist. It'll be where it belongs on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yes, sir. Here's some time ago I got a lesson on him. God restoring to his people. 
He said he'd restore all the former days. He's doing it right now. And the people don't realize it. God's doing this thing and the people don't realize it. Now look, can you see, if you see what I mean, out of Eden, those two spirits coming. If you see that, say amen. You see how this is fundamental all the way through? It goes out fundamental. And this was fundamental plus the vindication of God's power, which was signs and wonders. You see that? There's the church. See what I mean? It's believers. Now, here's some time ago in Toledo, Ohio, in closing, I had a meeting. And I was eating at a little Dunkard restaurant. Some of the loveliest people, their women, was dressed. They had long hair and long dresses like ladies ought to dress, like you Pentecostal women used to dress. You let on the bar somewhere, didn't you? The Pentecostal church, you've become a disgrace. That's right. Long time ago, it was wrong for the women to cut off their hair, wear all this your manicure over their lips and things. But now it's all right. Brother, the devil might have went out of fashion, but he didn't go out of business. He's still in business. Yes, sir. Rest just like the rest of the world. Here, some time ago, a woman said to me, he said, Brother Bram, do you mean to tell me that you believe it's wrong for a woman to wear some uh, over her lips? I said, there was one woman in the Bible that did that. A woman never did paint her face to meet God. She painted her face to meet man. And that was Jezebel. Jezebel painted her face and put a round tar around her head and went out to meet the, a man. You know what God did to her? He fed her to the dogs. So when you see a Christian woman saying she's full of the Holy Ghost and her acting like that, you say, how did you miss dog meat? That's what God calls her. This dog meat. He fed her to the dogs. That's exactly right. I didn't say that for a joke. I don't believe in joking. This is a pulpit. But I'm telling you what, brother, it's a disgrace the way you women. And they, what did it? Your pastors let down behind the pulpit to preach the truth. The greatest sponsors I got in America is Pentecostal people. But brother, it's like in the time of the revolutionary and, and, and France. They need a revolutionary in the time of Joan of Arc. They had a revolution and they need a counter-revolutionary. The full gospel needs to be preached and they need a revival. That's right. Clean them up a little bit. An old brother used to sing, we let down the bars, we let down the bars, we compromise, we sin. We let down the bars, the sheep got out, but how did the goats get in? You let down the bars. That's what did it. Exactly. I was standing in a little place out here. I was eating this little junker restaurant. These clean-looking ladies walking around, just this clean old stuff over their fingernails and eyes and so forth. They walk in. It's a pleasure to get to meet and feel that real warm Christian spirit. And we sat around there and eat. Brother Baxter and I, Sunday, closed up. They went to church. We had to go across to an ordinary, uh, a popular American place to eat, restaurant. And I went in there, and as soon as I walked in the door, there stood a police, a policeman, playing a slot machine, a man my age with his arm around a woman. The law of the nation. And it's illegal to gamble in Ohio. And there was the law itself breaking the law. Such a corruption. I'm not afraid of communism taking this country. I'm not afraid of Russia coming over here and taking it or Germany. You know, it ain't going to be that. It's our own rottenness among us is what's killing us. That's exactly right. I'm not afraid of the robin that pecks on the apple. He ain't going to hurt the apple. It's a worm at the core that kills the apple. That's right. Brother, unless this America has a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival, she's gone. That's right. I'm an American. I walk over the graves of dead Branham, through Paris, and through Germany, and through there. And if I had to give my life for it, I'd do it yet. It's the greatest nation in the world. But it's a disgrace the way we're let down. Be 
peaceful women come from India and different places and say they wouldn't even live here from the disgrace the way the American women act. What is it? You've let down the bars. When the GIs went overseas, two-thirds of us divorced the first six years, the first six months is overseas. Morals of women out in these factories and things working. It's a disgrace. That's right. Oh, you don't love me now, but brother, you know it's the day of judgment. I've told you the truth. That's right. I went over to this place and there said that police down there playing a stock machine. I thought, what? The law in our nation? And I looked back. There was some boys sitting there and a young lady immorally dressed, then with her hands on her, around her body where it ought to be. I thought, my. I looked over here and there said an old woman about old enough to be my grandmother, about 65 years old, with a little bitty tight clothes on, her purple looking stuff on her mouth and fingernails and toenails. And her poor old skin was so wrinkled up, and she had a big flower in her hair, and little gray hair, and it's blue looking and uh, up like that all shingle bobbed up. Now you think I, I'm, I'm not joking? I'm preaching the gospel. Now I want you to understand it. Surely God wouldn't give me power of vision and so forth if I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm telling you what's the truth. That's what you need here in New York. Yeah. And then what happened? I looked at her and I thought, oh goodness. And there she sat there with two old drunkards, and then sat there with a bottle of whiskey between them. And I thought, isn't that a disgrace, some old mother like that old grandmother? And I thought, oh God, how can you stand it? Why don't you wipe the whole thing off and forget about it? And I was condemning the woman with all my heart. Now, just a minute, I stepped back behind the door to offer prayer. And when I did, I saw a vision. I saw a world. It was revolving out in the air. And in the air, I saw like a rainbow around it said, this is the blood. And that every sinner in the world would be condemned and God would take your life this very minute if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus holding the wrath of God off of you. Then I noticed, I draw a little closer and I seen someone standing there with perspiration and tears and blood mixing, coming down. It was the Lord Jesus. I seen the mockery spit all over his face. I saw the blood on his brow and his precious hands are bleeding. I seen Dodging like that. And I said, my Lord, what makes you dodge? He said, my blood has acted as a bumper to your sins all these years. I thought, has my sins did that, Lord? I said, yes. I looked laying there, and there was an old book laying there. A sin all over it. My name was over that one. And I said, God, just like a bumper to the car. Keeps the car from getting hurt. The bumper. And the blood of Jesus Christ, when I was a sinner, was keeping God's wrath off of me, acting like that as a bumper in the car. I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I didn't mean to do that. With bumping like that, he reached down and took his hand to his side, wrote down with blood, pardon. Closed up the book, put it back behind him like that. He looked me right straight in the face. He said, now I forgive you, but you're condemning her. I said, God, be merciful to me. I don't condemn her. I won't condemn her, Lord, no more. There it is. It's the love the world's dying for. I'm not condemning your church, brother. I went over to her, and I sat down, and provisions over. The man that got up and went out to the restroom or somewhere. And I said, lady. She said, hello there, honey. She started to put her arm around me. I said, just a minute, lady. I took her by the hand. I said, are you a mother? She said, oh, yes. How did you know? I said, I want to ask you something. 
I said, I'm Reverend Branham. Did you ever hear? Oh, she said, the man is down here in this arena. Yeah, I said, I'm glad to know you. And I said, was you ever a Christian? And I seen her eyes colored. In a few moments, she was crying. She said, yes, I was. Yes, I was. I was raised a Christian. She said, but I took the wrong road because of an ill-treated husband, ill-treated by my husband. said, I took the road. I got daughters in the world today. And went ahead and began to talk. I said, Lady Jesus still loves you. I told her the vision. She said, do you mean that he would take me now? I said, just the way you are. He wants you right now. But there by the side of that booth amongst all those people, we broke up that slot machine gang and turned it into a prayer meeting. And the woman got gloriously saved there. What if I'd have walked away condemning her? Brother, it's not a condemnation. It's bringing them into the fold of the living God. And may if there's a person here today that's out of God's kingdom, may you come while we pray. Our Heavenly Father, you said, I will restore, saith the Lord, that poor, wretched, miserable woman sitting there, heaped in sin, drugged down to the dogs of heart of the debtors, and yet now today she's one of your children, gloriously saved because someone spoke to her just a few words of kindness and directed her thoughts back to the right path. God grant today that if there's sinners here, that they will come today and be saved. If there's any backsliders that have been going to somewhere that's kind of cold and formal, and they realize that they've been out of the will of God, grant that they will come this afternoon and restore, be restored back to the great powers of the Holy Spirit again. Grant it, Lord Jesus. We pray these blessings for thy glory while we have our heads bowed everyone in prayer, I wonder if someone would slip up your hand and say, Brother Branham, I want to be restored this afternoon. Will you just raise your hand somewhere in the audience? God bless you and you and you. That's right. Up in the balcony. Say, I want to be restored. God bless you, son. God bless you, buddy. God bless you, sister. God bless you. Over to my left, somebody over here say, I want to be restored, Brother Branham. I want a living faith and a living love and a living God in my heart. I've fooled around long enough just kind of taking theologists. I want a real experience with God. Would you raise your hand and say, pray for me? If you will, if God will open the eyes of the blind here by my prayers, if he'll make the cripples rise up and walk, if he'll make the deaf to hear, the dumb to talk, surely he will answer my prayer for your soul. And brother, no matter how you might be sitting eating up with a cancer, you're not in a half a condition that you are if you're sitting here just with a formal experience. Because your soul means more than your body. Won't you step in this afternoon? All that wants to be remembered in prayer at this time, would you stand up on your feet at this time, say, Brother Branham, even before my neighbors, before this church, I stand today and ask, I want to be restored back to love in my heart again for God like I once had. Would you stand to your feet anywhere in the building? God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. God bless you and you. That's right. Stand up everywhere. Everybody here without the baptism of the Holy Ghost that hasn't been restored to the full measure of God, would you stand up? Everyone without the Holy Spirit now that needs the Holy Spirit and wants to be restored to God, would you stand to your feet at this time? God bless you. God bless you. Now do you see what I mean, minister brothers? In this little handful of less than a thousand people, perhaps, look at the people standing. Just remain standing while we pray. Kind Heavenly Father, there's one thing that I cannot do. That's to restore these people. I can only bring them to you. I can only bring them to the foot of the cross now. I can only bring them to the face of the Lord Jesus. God, while they're standing here with heads bowed, hearts longing to be right, how do we know? They may not be a tomorrow. This city may be laid to a 
solid waste by morning. An earthquake could upset us. An atomic bomb could strike us. Anything could happen. There may not be a living person on the face of the earth by morning. We don't know. One thing we do know is that we've got to stand before God. Father, this poor message chopped up in the way only way I have of bringing it. I pray that it's sunk deep into the hearts of the people. That they'll now step away from their just all formal ritual ideas and come and be born again of the Holy Spirit. May they each one receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Grant it, Lord, as they're standing here. Restore them. Place the bark over their burnt bodies and give life anew to them. And may they frolic as the winds of God sweep down. And as they hear the winds going like David did through the mulberry bush, may they be flexible to the Spirit. Grant Father, through thy Son, the Lord Jesus, while we remain standing, I'm going to ask that Brother Berg will continue praying for this minute, Brother Berg.